This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk computing, technology, uh, internet, uh, all kinds of good stuff. Um, tonight on the show, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, and my partner in crime is Mr. Dan Salmon. Good evening. Uh, how's your week been in technology? Have you had any highs, lows? Um, my my low is that I'm using a very outdated, and I'm not going to mention it here, email server that is driving me absolutely insane in my current work. But other than that, I'm uh, I'm enjoying the uh, stuff that's coming out of uh, WDC. So the, 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 you know. Highs yeah. and lows, but we'll be talking about WWDC a bit later on anyway, so... We will be. Yes. Uh, I'll be with you also. I'm Warren Davies. Um, I, I guess my high is finding out that you could actually set um, uh, night mode on your phone in settings. I didn't realise that. I've been oh. doing it manually. Someone so told me that you can just, no, I've got it set to like 10pm and 7am. I didn't know you could do that. There you go. See, uh, I, I only really use night mode when I'm reading on my uh, iPad. Because yeah. generally, you know, I read in bed with the lights off, mm. but because um, that's a normal thing to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that, that's a revelation for me. There are lots of good uh, new tricks from uh, from Apple um, uh, that have been announced in San Jose uh, this week. So um, yeah, there'll be more stuff like that later in the show. Um, there are almost 7,000 human languages uh, spoken around the world and um, within, well, by the end of this century, uh, almost half could be extinct, um, existing only as preserved specimens in obscure databases, which does still sound kind of fun, but we do want them spoken. Um, a local project is looking to preserve uh, many of those um, through a VR application. Uh, we'll meet one of the minds and people behind uh, Paradisec uh, VR uh, tonight on the show. Melbourne Webfest uh, 2017 is not too far away uh, if you do like your web series. Um, it's on from June 29, uh, three weeks and a little bit away. Uh, 50 of the best web series will be on show this year at Webfest. And there's actually a great opportunity uh, around French Webfest that I can't tell you too much about now, but um, perhaps festival director Steiner Ellingson uh, will tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, he'll be joining us later in the show as well. Intriguing. Very intriguing. Mm. Um, there is a bit of a French theme here. Uh, imagine the studio with uh, French flags. There's a few crepes hanging around. Um, Je suis Francais. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but before we do get uh, all Frenchy a little bit later, um, there is heaps of news uh, around the world that we did want to um, uh, bring to your attention. Um, one of the ongoing stories in technology uh, this year um, uh, is from the States. And did the Russians indeed um, get involved in the US uh, federal election from late last year? Um, the FBI have arrested an NSA contractor who leaked top secret quote, Russian hacking, unquote, uh, documents um, uh, to, the inter to the Intercept. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, some interesting information. The, the document itself um, was dated early May. It analyzes uh, recently acquired US intelligence about um, Russian in intelligence cyber effort against the elements of the US election and voting infrastructure. Um, so the... the investigation itself only began in the last few months, but it claims that it was spurred on by information that became available in April 2017. So no, I, it doesn't look like there's anything particularly concrete just yet, um, but in, ter in terms of uh, the uh, arrest of the, um, I, su I suppose, uh, leaker, it's um, 
Mm. And uh, I suppose the the US has form with this. I mean, you look at Chelsea Manning and their kind of pursuit of Edward Snowden. Again, there are a lot of nuances around the meth. Oh, I suppose the motivations behind leaking uh, documents of this nature. Generally, someone's always going to be annoyed, and those people who get annoyed about a particular leak that is damaging to them, all of a sudden can't stand WikiLeaks. And you look at the people who, uh, I mean, historically were cheering for Julian Assange's release. Mm. All of a sudden, um, it's it's looking like perhaps WikiLeaks is, uh, I suppose. Uh, work is damaging to um, people who might not be particularly sympathetic with um, uh, Donald Trump, for example, and mm. uh, and, and just seeing everyone change sides. Um, I'd, I'd encourage anyone, to, if, if they were uh, interested in looking at um, the, the way that a WikiLeaks assesses these things, there's actually a really interesting uh, article uh, with an interview of um, in Der Spiegel, the German uh, newspaper, with Julian Assange about uh, the, the, the kind of the people who are happy and unhappy with what WikiLeaks does. But that's beside the point mm. of uh, this particular mm. uh, story. It does look like they have uh, been able to identify the um, security agency um, within Russia uh, behind this. Um, so I don't know, I guess until it comes out uh, and history will show if there was any um, uh, familiarity between Putin and uh, and Trump and, and whether that has um, been mirrored in the... Um, the ease of um, sort of penetration of, of voting systems and information and campaign headquarters and so forth. But mm. um, they've tracked it back to the Russian General Staff Main Intelligence Directorate or GRU or GRU, I'm not really sure, um, that apparently conducted it. It was um, set up as a false Google alert requiring a target to enter login credentials. Um, and then they also attempted a parallel campaign using a false email account meant to be confused with a second company. Mm. Um, and they have tracked it back to some software companies in the States, but I guess um, we, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and just... Um, see what actually happens from there. One thing that we absolutely cannot doubt is the world's largest plane, which is being constructed in the California desert. This is true. Before we get to that, I do just mm. want to say that the um, per- name of the person who has been arrested in relation mm. to these leaks, her name is uh, Reality Winner. I'm not sure if that's her actual name, whether it's mm. her handle or whether she changed it by deed poll, but that is one of the greatest names I've ever heard. Amazing. Now, yes, as you mentioned, we have moved on to uh, aerospace. Now, Warren, if you were a multi-billionaire tech uh founder of one of the largest companies in history. I'm imagining it's not. You're imagining. Yeah, Yeah. cool. Um, What would you do with it? Uh, I would gold plate something and turn it into a roller disco. Okay, nice. So your gold plated roller disco would pale in in comparison to Paul Allen's gigantic plane. Um, Paul Allen, who uh, famously co-founded Microsoft with Bill Gates, Mm. um, has put a rather large chunk of his own cash in developing, yes, the largest aeroplane in history. I'm kind of imagining... um, just a very large plane? Is it kind of based on like a single fuselage? <laughs> yeah, see, no, the, okay. no, this is where you're totally wrong. Right. No offence. It's mm. uh, it's absolutely bloody massive. It's got two fuselages. So wow. the fuselage is the bit, for those who aren't, um, I suppose, familiar, mm. the fuselage is the bit of the plane that you generally sit inside, the mm-hmm. long bit that kind of looks like a cigar. Mm-hmm. Now, it's got two of those that sit side by side with a gigantic wing over the top of it. So... Um, some of the well, I mean, the most interesting. Imagine a catamaran turned into a plane. Basically, yeah, it's a it's a catamaran plane. Yep. That doesn't sound right at all. It's called Strato Lodge, um, and uh, the the most interesting stat about it, and compare if uh, sort of to bring it into I suppose context to make uh, get people to understand, uh, compared to the uh, largest passenger plane, which is the Airbus A three eighty, it's got a wingspan of eighty meters. This guy 
or woman, I suppose mm. there aren't really genders mm. on planes, um, has a wingspan of 117. So it's it's almost one and a half times the wingspan of the Airbus A380, which in itself is a pretty damn massive plane. So we're talking huge. It's um, 50 feet tall. It's, um, that's, yeah, that's 387 feet. Yeah, yeah. so no, that, that, yeah. those are actually smaller than the A380, but yeah. Yeah, so, but it's, um, it's still a massive plane. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to ride on it anytime soon because it is... Um, in the in the grand, uh, I suppose, theme of multi billionaires doing things with their money, it's going, to um, space. it's going into space, or it's being used to send rockets into space, mm. um, which apparently uh, uses up less fuel and is uh, more efficient if you actually attach a rocket with a satellite to a plane, take the plane way up into the atmosphere, and then shoot the rocket off from there. So, huh. um, you know, smart. It's smart, but hopefully, I'd like to see you know heading out to Telemarine and jumping on one of those guys mm. or girls. It does. It does remind me of the. Uh, meme of the eagle with the crow on its back i don't think i've ever oh. i don't remember that one I'll, sh- I'll share that with you uh during the track later nice um one of the uh, big pieces of news this week um wwdc um Here we it's, go. it's not it's not wrestling it's got nothing to do with washington dc um it is the um apple uh congregation that they do have um every year uh focused on developers the worldwide developers conference uh has been held in san jose this week mm-hmm. and um there's a bunch of shiny new kit um you know which is great if you need to update um go and go and go down to your apple store and place an order if you don't they're pretty robust they last mm-hmm. for a long time so um if you're still on an iPad one, it's probably still going, so yeah. you, you'll be fine. Although, although there is uh, there is uh, speculation that the latest iOS will basically brick any anything older than I think an iPad three. But I mean, it's it's interesting. One of the things that I found interesting about this particular WWDC is that the kind of coverage that it's been getting in the broader community in the broader media yeah. is just not. No one seems to be as interested as they normally are. No, well, I, I guess um, we're all kind of on the Steve Jobs train, and uh, you know, he was a very charismatic figure, and perhaps maybe Apple had that golden period of sort of five to seven years where everything that came out was breathlessly waited on. It was new, it was different, it was exciting. It changed things. Yeah, and now and now things are incremental improvements. Mm. Um, so some years you'll have things just get better. Our operating systems are better, we've fixed bugs, we've done all of these things, which is still good, yeah. but we're, we're kind of used to the crack of, of the new. Absolutely. You know, you know, I think a, a big breakthrough would like, you know, make the Apple Watch worth getting. I think that would be a good one, but... Um, well, I've got that for you. Yeah. Um, so... The they are using a uh, a new watch face which uses machine learning to give you information based on your routines. So um, based on your location and your calendar and what you've been doing in the past, it's giving you relative information. So basically they've caught up with Google, mm, which is okay. um, yeah. something we should really applaud. Well, uh, so, well done, well done. It does seem like something that probably is not nearly as exciting as, I don't know, I'm not going to get into this. Hey, but for swimmers, yeah, right. uh, which I know that you are, yeah. um, the swimming app gets an improvement to auto-pause. So if you rest at the end of each lap, it will detect the type of stroke on each lap as well. So It, detect, it detects the kind of stroke? Yeah, based on... So, well, that makes sense. Like, there's yeah, a well, I suppose where you're moving your arm, you know, over and over or... But mm. yeah, that's 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 actually kind of cool. Mm. Although I didn't realise that they were waterproof at all. So that in, that in itself is actually jump in. Yeah, mm. um, I, I think um, one of the going back to your point about the news, one of the things that came out is I guess maybe the subtle pushback on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're if you're a bit of an Apple nerd and you'll remember the sort of the 1984 sort of Macintosh stuff and they were really pushing against the pushing against the pricks I guess in a way mm. um, and I don't know maybe maybe they've assumed a, a new role now but uh, Tim actually came out on stage um, to a kind of 
I'm going to say bizarre uh, intro video that imagines the world without apps, which is not necessarily the worst thing. Like, no. Like, we'll all still get by. Just cast your mind back five or six years, a world without apps. A world without apps. I, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, yeah, sure, apps do, and, you know, we can get into the whole philosophical debate about what apps do to our lives, mm. but... I'm pretty sure that I could live without one. Yeah. You know, I you know, we've we've lived for thousands of years and hundreds of years with technology, mm. te- you know, decades with computers without apps. Mm. A couple of decades without phones without or with phones that didn't have apps in them. Yes. I don't think that if we were to remove these things from our lives we'd all die, basically. No. 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 Unless you were using your health app and that was the only way that you were monitoring your heartbeat. Maybe in a few years' time, but but not yet. Um, but some of the other things that were, I guess, um, uh, new or interesting or different to software updates, um, the HomePod, so uh, a home speaker, um, is the only the second new product since um, since Steve Jobs did pass on. Um, mm. So Tim Cook's second product, I guess. Um, so it is interesting. They're pretty late to it. Um, Sonos yeah. and um, some of the the Nest products and so forth are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's just an improvement on that stuff. Um, there is some uh, good stuff for Macs. Um, Apple Pay gets a good integration with Messenger, so you can actually just pay um, people directly in a message in Messenger, which is really nice. That is nice. That, that, that's something that's been available on um, Weibo in China for a while. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see it making uh, into the Western community, I suppose. I mean, in Australia, it's only going to be useful if you're on ANZ because obviously mm. ANZ is the only bank that supports Apple Pay. But mm. um, for countries where more than one bank uh, will support Apple Pay, that's actually really that's cool really innovation. Handy. Yeah. We are now going to take a look at uh, an interesting uh, project that um, I guess brings um, some of the oldest uh, forms of communication and language um, into a relatively new form of communication, uh, VR. Um, I, I I think this is going to be great. I'm a big fan of um, uh, preservation and um, uh, bringing the old into the new. Um, Dr. Nick Thyberger is uh, an Australian Research Council Future Fellow uh, in the School of Languages and Linguistics at the University of Melbourne. Um, He's involved in a wonderful project called uh, Paradisec. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us tonight. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, How how would you describe the the genesis of this project? What made you think, you know what, we've got... um, some languages, some of them quite old. We've got some formats, some of them quite old. We need to do something about this. Well, what happened was, you know, a bunch of us, so musicologists and linguists, saw that all these recordings that had been made by researchers back in the 50s and 60s were just sitting around and nobody was looking after them. These were analogue tapes, often reel-to-reel tapes, and, you know, those were big collections. People were working in Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and other places, and there was no agency in Australia that was looking after it. So we decided to apply for Australian Research Council funding and build an archive for this stuff. And, you know, what we got was a one-year grant to build an archive. And in that one year, we digitised... Is it like a trip to Ikea or something like that? Like, what yeah, were they that's thinking right, that you were going to do? Yeah, pop-up archive. Yeah. Well, we did our best, you know, mm. and we did it. We, um, we digitised 500 hours in the first year. And, you know, it's not just digitising, but you've got to, you know, put all the stuff around it, make it into a proper collection that's described and all that sort of stuff. But... You know, uh, these were records that were really interesting. You know, these were performances, people speaking in Indonesia, in, in Papua New Guinea, in languages that n- now some of them aren't spoken anymore. Uh, certainly they've changed anyway. Languages change all the time. And what we wanted to do with this was preserve it, but also somehow get it back to those places, uh, that, you know, where they came from. And the internet, of course, the internet gives us this capacity that, uh, you know, we started this in 2003. 
and it's been going now for 15 years. Wow. And what's the what's the reaction been to uh, to people sort of hearing recordings from you know even a few generations ago? I guess that would be it's, quite surprising. It's fantastic. I mean, it's very gratifying. You know, when we get um, people coming along and saying, you know, that's my grandfather, or you know, I remember when that researcher was in our village and I was a kid, and now I can hear these recordings. So that's a really a great thing. Um, and of course, what's happening now is people in these places are all getting mobile phones mm. and they're all getting access to the internet and they're looking for reflections of their own cultures. And you've got to keep in mind, Papua New Guinea has somewhere around 900 languages, Vanuatu, 230 languages. And, you know, there's very little of this material on the web. You go and, you know, you search, you find English, you find French, you know, but very little of these small languages. So when they do find it, they're really... They're really uh, excited by it. So that that does sound amazing. So uh, Nick, you are currently uh, looking at oh, you're harnessing virtual reality in order to help people immerse themselves in these cultures and languages. Are you able to talk through what the experience would be if I was to put on a headset and kind of uh, dive into this uh, language history? Yeah. So what we did since we've got so much material in this archive, it's just it's very difficult to come to grips with a whole lot of audio. We've got 7,000 hours of audio sitting there. And, you know, how do you, how do you keep track of it? How do you listen to that? So we decided we'd snip 20 seconds out of a bunch of files. We went into all the files and snipped 20 seconds. And then we created a virtual reality view of, um, of this material. So with these 20 seconds, what you do is uh, we mapped it. So you're flying over Melanesia. And as you fly over, you see these shards of light emerging from the land. And each of these shards of light re represents a language. And as you fly through, it's like you're in a forest of languages. You're hearing these languages. You're hearing snippets of languages as, you, as you're going through this um, flyby. And you can focus on a particular one and it tells you a little bit about the language, like how much we know about it and how many speakers there are and that kind of thing. So ultimately what we'd like to do with this is make it into a point of entry to the collection so that once you find something you're interested in, you can click through and, and get to, you know, a web page and find the information. But the VR stuff is, you know, it's, it's cutting edge, so it's sort of uh, taking a bit of learning from all of us and it's quite expensive at the moment but we've got a version coming out shortly for Google Cardboard uh, which will be a lot easier to use. Mm. And and so the uh, the idea being that you, you're kind of flying across the Pacific and there are samples coming from here and samples coming from there and what, what, whatever you like the, hear, what, like the sound of is what you gravitate towards. Yeah. Ah. And it's wonderful because as you move away from a language, it gets quieter, and as you move towards languages, they get louder. So you're really getting this sense of travelling through That's this landscape. Beautiful. And the interplay between the languages, I imagine, would be quite interesting. Yeah, and, you know, there are different things. So some of them are people singing, some of them are people telling stories. There, there are all kinds of there are old voices, young voices, male, female. So it's this whole, it's really quite a, it's, it really gives you a sense of the diversity of what's going on there. Did you um, end up uh, passing the experience back to people who who don't have a big footprint in digital media and kind of the idea of virtual reality is was uh, a, a novel thing for them and what was what was their experience like? Well, it's difficult because you know with these things you have to do an installation in a particular place. Mm. So we have done a video version of it that's online and mm. people have gone and and, and looked at that. Uh, but I think the idea is that we try and make the whole thing more accessible, um, and that would be making it into some sort of web-based mm. um, experience. So you can just put your cardboard on and off you go. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so. It, Obviously, your team doesn't really have a technology background. What were some of the challenges in, in sort of taking all of this stuff and turning it into a, a different form of media? Oh, well, I mean, what we what we did was, because we had, you know, this collection, it's got over a thousand languages in it. It's a massive, you know, amount of material. It's a big the, spreadsheet. 
Well, but it's a, it's, a, it's actually well-structured metadata, I mm. have to say, in the end. And because of that, everything's well-structured and it means that we could give it to a, an artist. So we, uh, Andrew Burrell is the artist in Sydney who took the material and was able to then produce the VR. So it was a learning experience for us as, you know, academics who are working on mm. this stuff. Um, but it became a wonderful collaboration and it's ongoing. So we, we did one version of it that was at the uh, Museum of Canberra for the last few months and we're now working on a second iteration and, as I say, we're going to try and do a cardboard version of it as well. Are there, are there similar, um, I suppose, repositories of uh, Indigenous languages around the world? Yeah, there are. There's a whole community of, of uh, digital language archives. Um, there's one in Hawaii, there's one in Alaska, there's one in Texas, uh, there's one in Holland, there's one in Moscow. So we, we formed a sort of network of these um, repositories mm -hmm. and we're all using this. One, one of the wonderful things is that there's a common metadata system that we're all subscribed to and they harvest all of our metadata every night. And so there's this great index of all of these language materials that you can access. Um, so you can look up for any language, there's a page and it tells you all the material that's in any given archive for that language. So would there be sort of in, in the future the possibility of having this virtual reality fly through across the entire planet? Yeah, exactly. And I presented this at a conference in Hawaii in uh, February and there were people from North America that were very interested mm. and our developer says, yeah, look, it's a generic framework. You know, you could really just plonk in um, whatever material you want and, and the whole thing could become... Eventually, obviously, it'd be great to have a, a, a world you could circumnavigate and listen to snippets of language from, from anywhere. It's interesting in that there's... Um, we're kind of at a point where sort of as the FAQ on the site kind of explains that um, a lot of languages are at risk and we only have a limited amount of time to do this and it's kind of, you know, we're, we're just really at the start of the, the sort of what the internet can do for us. So there's so many jobs to do in the world for the internet and, you know, whether it's places like Google or, or, or Amazon or anyone who's got the capacity and scale to support something like this, yeah. it's almost like a battle for their attention to say, hey, this is one of the most important projects and... Yeah, well, indeed. And, you know, Google actually has been um, playing in this in this area. Uh, they helped set up a project called Endangered Languages Catalogue that's mm. based at the University of Hawaii. Uh, so Google was involved with that. And, you know, they are interested in this, but, you know, they're such a big organisation. Mm. And we've, we have... I've, you know, gone and spoken with Google, but uh, it's a question of what they can do and also, you know, big corporations often want copyright or they want intellectual property and stuff. And, and the problem here is, you know, these are people's languages. You can't have, in, you can't assign intellectual property to other people. It belongs mm. to the, the speakers of these languages. So th what we're doing with this really is publicising the fact that these languages are there and, and trying to support them. We, 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 we're not pretending that we're actually saving languages, right? We're saving, you know, stories, we're saving mm. bits of narrative, songs and whatever. But, yeah, it gives it some sort of presence on the web. Mm. If, um, if people wanted to um, hear some of these or, or um, be a participant in the project, how could they get involved? Well, the Paradisic catalogue's uh, all online and mostly it's available. You just have to register. So anybody who wants to can go and, and have a listen. They're streaming MP3 for most of the collection. Um, the VR is, you know, at the moment it's pretty pretty local, so there's not, not much that you can see about it. Um, there is a YouTube site that you could find mm. and have a look at the, at the, at the video capture of it. Mm. Yeah.
Okay, well, we might see if we can uh, pull that up and, and tweak that out um, during the rest of the show. Yeah, but right. um, yeah. Nick, it's a fantastic project. What, what's the what's the next plan? What, what do you have to do in the, um, sort of for the rest of the year? Oh, well, I mean, the VR thing is one only one part of it. The other mm. part is that we're looking for tapes and we look for, you know, collections of audio tapes. Mm. We've got a project going with the Vanuatu Cultural Centre at the moment where mm. we're digitising their tapes. But there are also um, researchers and people around here who mm. have tapes in their collections they don't realise, you know, their grandparents might have been out missionaries or something like mm. that. So if they do, they should get in touch and we can try and help with them. There are there are some tapes of the Triple R Christmas parties from previous <laughs> years where people appear to be speaking strange languages. Um, so if you'd like to investigate those tapes... I'll look have, into it. We do yeah, have some yeah, real to real. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. We are joined now in the studio by uh, Festival Director of WebFest. Uh, Steiner Ellingson has been uh, a very busy chap over the past few years, but we are here to talk about uh, WebFest. Um, thanks for coming in, Steiner. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, it is uh, five years of WebFest. Um, it must feel like it's growing <laughs> up and kind of starting to walk on its own two feet and stuff. Yeah, it's about to start school, you know. It's uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been five years. Uh, seems like a long time and a short time at the same time. Mm. That's a lot of time. Mm. Um, but uh, it's, it's nice to see how it's growing, not just from the festival point of view how the festival is growing but mm. how it's sort of how the industry the screen production industry is now really actually taking this quite seriously mm. uh which is great and and that's quite noticed in terms of you know what we get in terms of submission who's knocking on our door to talk to us about what we're doing and that sort of stuff so that's mm. obviously what makes it exciting and, and worthwhile mm. well uh, we were um talking uh a fortnight back about um some changes even just in 10 years of someone working online what are the changes in, uh, I guess, content and film that you've seen in the past five years? Well, um, one of the major things, I think, is, you know, five years ago, it was a bunch of independent creators sort of hanging out in, in the western suburbs in a studio building. It was great fun, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, if you had $10,000 there, you was, at that time you were swimming in cash and everyone wanted to know, how did you get ten grand to make something, you know? Whereas now this year we've actually uh, had about a handful of submissions that had a, had a, a million dollars plus budget. So that's probably one of the main sort of developments that's happened over those five years is just to see how it's gone from this very sort of independent, low-key, just a bunch of guys starting out trying to make a name for themselves to actually the industry now embracing it as a, you know, it's a, it's a way for research and development, for growing new talent, testing out new ideas that don't necessarily fit within the TV frame yet, for mm. example. Mm. Um, Lots more car chases and exploding buildings with those yeah. kinds of projects. <laughs> well, I still think that web series has its own uh, territory in a lot of ways and, and, and you can kind of tell what's sort of really made for the web, what's made as a TV pilot. I, th I think you can still uh, tell the difference between those sort of things, although they might occupy the same space. Uh, from a curation point of view, you know, that's kind of one of the challenges for us now is to, to curate a selection that actually uh, takes into account the fact that, you know, these guys have zero money. They've got great ideas and lots of ambition, but, you know, their production values can't match someone with a million bucks to sort of splash on, on visual effects you know, that yeah. sort of, and, and, and talent, name actors, that sort of thing. Mm. So you know, I suppose you kind of covered that already, but are you seeing now that there are people making web 
series for with web being the final kind of endpoint rather than it being a pitch for a TV show, which I imagine would you'd seen would have seen more of that uh, five years ago kind of thing. Yeah, we we see that. And what we're also seeing is that um, the screen is beginning to matter, I suppose, less and less in a lot of ways. So we're actually doing a discussion panel this year about adaptation. So looking at projects that started out as web series and turned into TV series or feature films. And there's this, it's actually, it's an emerging trend, if I can say that that is, that that is happening. But we're also seeing the emergence of this kind of hybrid concept that's actually written for the web, for TV and for film with the, with the intention that it's actually going to be released on all platforms. Interesting. So that is that is very interesting. You know, it's a huge demand on on the writers, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Do you kind of feel like it's? Um, I, I kind of feel like it's almost the default these days. Like stuff made for web. Like I've been loving Master of None, and I, I oh, can't. Yeah. I can't imagine that with the second season and the way it jumps around being a TV show. Like people would complain. Like it's in Italian now, and they're in Italy, and his friends have changed and stuff like that. <laughs> like you can feel the freedom and the kind of irreverence of yeah. stuff that's made for people on the internet. Understand this, and you know, if you're if you're subscribing to these platforms, you appreciate diversity and interesting ideas and weirdness and. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's you know that's the flexibility that you got with with uh, with digital delivery. It's sort of um, you know you can stick with a with a format if you if you want to, but if you want to, you can have one episode that's five minutes. You can have one that's fifteen. Mm. All that, that there's. There are some some people try to impose rules and and some people just they're just out there to break them you know so yeah, uh, yeah there's still very much that flexibility I think which is which is liberating for creators cool and and in terms of like that that kind of groundbreaking liberating stuff what what's exciting about the program uh, for Webfest this year. Um, we have more series than, than ever. We have 50 official selections and we have a student's showcase and we have the spotlight selection, which is a, a showcase of local content. Um, the pitching competition is back for the second year that we do in, in, uh, in partnership with ABC iView. Um, I have to say that for me personally, that was one of the one of the really, really big, uh, big, uh, big events uh, uh, for us last year. It was so exciting. Twenty uh, projects are getting pitched before a live audience and a, and a panel of judges. It's kind of confronting, I suppose, for the people who are, uh, are put on stage. But really exciting. And the winner from last year went to uh, went to France, did a writing residency there, developed the pitch into a script, and she's now um, uh, in development with uh, with iView to make an original series. So you know that's the she described it as a life changing experience, which is you know humbling for us. But that's the kind of thing that we obviously want to do. Uh, with the festival is to showcase and acknowledge and honour the talent that's out there, give people high fives for what they have produced. But it's really exciting to also be able to, uh, you know, present opportunities for people who are trying to establish careers. So that's that's one of the things. And, and the panel that I mentioned is also you know, really, really exciting. Um, the award show this year is going to be, uh, be hosted by a uh, woman called... Greta Lee Jackson from Sydney, who's uh, one third of the trio called Skitbox, 
who made a couple of viral videos. One of them were called Active Wear that uh, I think uh, everyone yes. in, uh, on the internet has seen. Now. I watched it in my Active Wear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we read all that sort of stuff, and then you know, there's a lot of networking to do. And, and that sort of thing. So yes, lots of excitement. So the pitch uh, will be held at the State Library of Victoria on the Saturday, the first of July, and it is open for submissions. Um, well, what are you hoping to see if someone's out there tonight going, you know what, I've got these great ideas, but nowhere to put them. What, how, how should they shape it? How should they get ready for the pitch? Well, uh, you've got until midnight this Friday to mm. submit. It's free to submit. You mm-hmm. can win 5000 bucks and a trip to France and a, you know, the opportunity to, to create original content for the ABC. Um, what is required is a 30-second video of you explaining your idea. Mm. It's short and sweet. We're not expecting like a schmick production because that's not what this is about. What we're after is IDs that are different. Um, the theme this year is a very specifically broad and vague. <laughs> it's everyone's invited. So it has to somehow connect with the theme, but that's it. A 30-second video on the theme, um, everyone's invited. Uh, the full details are on our website, so melbournewebfest.com. Uh, go there and have a look and, and yeah, send us uh, your pitch. Do you, uh, will there be, um, will you be screening any of the, like, do we get to see any of these pitches? I, I reckon that'd be kind of fun content. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, well, we, we put up, uh, we did this Christmas calendar last year <laughs> with just highlights from the, from the, mm. uh, from the uh, uh, festival. So three of probably the best pitches that went up went mm. into this Christmas calendar. Mm. The, when you pitch, you only have two minutes to mm. really win over the audience and the, and the jury, obviously. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, you can turn up obviously to the to the festival on on Saturday the first of July, and then mm. there's a two hour event to get amongst it and be a part of the fun. Sounds pretty sounds pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 tempted to come up with a pitch myself, but I don't think that I would be able to uh, wing it within three days. So uh, oh, we, if you're playing a song after this, you only need thirty seconds, so we can. That's a very good point. All right, yeah. we'll ch- we'll jump in the green room and we'll see uh, and if we get can them. find time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get amongst it. Um, it is a uh, great opportunity. Um, yeah, we'd love to uh, hear more about um, some of the pitches that you do get. If if there were just kind of one or two things that you you didn't want to miss at this year's Webfest, what would you recommend to the new going along for their first time in the fifth year yeah well the uh the uh, melbourne showcase which is at loop on the thursday uh is uh, is free so Mm. you can come there and support some local content makers that's always an amazing night you know packed house lots Mm. of it's sort of like the the soft launch of the festival in a lot of ways because our opening night is on on friday Mm. uh but that's always a gas you know there's uh great networking opportunities the opening night the local showcase the pitching on the saturday and you know everybody loves awards obviously so if you really want to come and meet the people um come to the awards obviously there'll be some uh, um um very excited creators running around with some with some new trophies that we are currently about to unveil that have been handmade in melbourne so we're really excited that's one of the big uh, unveilings that we'll be doing soon is our new trophy which uh, 
handmade locally Ooh. yeah get yourself one of those i think yeah. um throwing a couple of footballers and this is maybe the most melbourne thing that i've heard um, <laughs> all week <laughs> Our arches and trophies yeah it's made from flat whites and, and avocados <laughs> <laughs> amazing i wouldn't put it past you stunner no I really i'm wouldn't. sorry no it's not it's um yeah <laughs> stunner thanks for coming in it looks like it's going to be a great festival and um yeah we can't wait to see um, what gets pitched at you thanks thanks for having me guys Big news, Warren, in uh, the search for extraterrestrial inv- uh, intelligence. Not the news we were hoping for, though. Uh, those who are into that sort of thing might have heard of the WOW signal. Basically, what happened was back in 1977... The World, the world of Warcraft the, signal? No, funnily no. enough, not. Although okay. we, ne- we never know. We've never met the uh, aliens who live it. Mm. Um, basically, so um, f- 40 years ago now, um, a signal was... F- uh, received by uh, radio telescopes in the US uh, that looked a bit strange and, um, you know, essentially it was a whole lot of uh, numbers, ones and twos can, and letters. Can you read it? Do you have a visual on that just there? I have a visual on it. It's Great. it's essentially a square piece of paper with a lot of ones, twos, threes mm. and uh, letters kind of scattered across it. But um, the people who were reading it and knew how to read it were so impressed and intrigued by what the uh, what it was saying was that, that they actually wrote, wow, exclamation mark, next to it. Um, it. It became like, you know, a famous piece uh, piece of science, this idea that we've possibly received uh, communications or picked up on communications from uh, extraterrestrial intelligent life forms. Unfortunately, very recently, in the last year, um, a, a new hypothesis has been arguing and is it's a gaining weight that it might have only been a comet um, that caused the uh, the anomaly in the uh, radio radio frequencies, which is is sad, um, but it it, it kind of makes sense. Um, the, they uh, a team in the US made uh, 200, 200 radio spectrum observations between November twenty six oh, sorry November twenty sixteen and February this year, and um, they found that comet two six six slash P Christensen was found to emit radio waves at a frequency of one thousand four hundred and twenty megahertz, which is uh, what the uh, what the frequency of the uh, the Wow uh, signals was. Um, to double check, they moved the telescope by one degree and then the signal vanished. So it looks like that there has been a, 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 an answer to a 40-year-old mystery. Amazing. It is amazing. Probably a little bit a little bit saddening as well. It is because, I mean, you know, it's one of those things like the hope. It was, it was symbolic for 40 years of the hope that there are um, aliens out there who want to speak to us and, and to kind of have that... Uh, I suppose dashed is a bit. It's, it's a bit saddening, but you know, there's plenty more fish in the sea, or plenty more aliens in the sky. So uh, let's let's not get too discouraged by this. You did just add to the um, uh, Richard Dreyfus kind of vibe that we've got going on here in the <laughs> studio tonight. <laughs> If you can picture a lot of sweaters and, and kind of beards. Yeah, um, there was there was definitely some sweaters going. Let's not get into we'll, that. We'll find it. Don't. Hand we, we, we will not find it. Oh, maybe we will. I'm not going to talk about it. Yes. Um, if you would like to attend an evening with Jim Savage and uh, you want to focus on how um, statistics and workflows um, uh, are best applied, um, you do have an opportunity soon. Jim is an applied statistician and data science lead at Lendable. Um, they're a Frontiers Markets credit provider in New York City. Um, and before that, he was an economics lecturer at La Trobe, um, an economist at the Grant Institute and a DSSG fellow at University of Chicago. Um, very accomplished guy. He's an avid user of STAN, um, which is a modeling language. Um, so 
At this event, it will demonstrate workflow with two exciting new applications, how we can use data on loan repayments to help design better financial products, uh, and how we can aggregate sales data to draw inference about the distribution of individual customer tastes, which may sound really nerdy, but um, it does have a big impact on your life. Absolutely. You know, it's it's essentially, you know, things being sold to you when you want to buy them. Which is kind of handy. It is. Know. I find it, I still find it creepy. Like, mm. even even though, you know, it's very, very um, convenient to have the ads that come up on my, on my browsers, mm. uh, you know, be things that I've looked at in the past, mm. you know, I, I, I still find it a little bit disconcerting myself, but that's just me being old fashioned. Mm. Uh, if you would like to uh, have an evening with Jim Savage, it's on Wednesday, the 21st of June. Um, we've got a link to the uh, Data Science Melbourne uh, meetup um, page. So we'll get that out to you as well. Um, it's been a super fun night uh, tonight. It's been a pleasure spending a bit of time with you. Uh, thank you to our guests, uh, Nick, and also to Stana. Um, Hope you have a great night tonight. Coming up next is the International Pop Underground. But until we'll be back next Wednesday evening. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.